You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Ah, the happy, joy, joy, wonderful times of modern technology. Welcome back to another episode of the British Movie Show and a rather unusual episode of the British Movie Show. Now, why is it an unusual one? Not because I've got a guest. Nope. It's because halfway through the probably 55-minute conversation, technology reared its ugly head and decided to stop recording the conversation. Now, it was the first 30 minutes of this chat that I managed to record. I say I, I mean the, the telephone. Um, the guest I have on this particular episode is a guy who I've met many, many years ago once and I've followed him on Twitter ever since and actually a little bit before. So who is he? Well, he is the man, Mr. Scott Williams, a guy I was first familiar with when was uh, I was doing some publicity stuff for Hard Boiled Sweets by David L.G. Hughes. And unbeknown to me, I'd seen this guy, Scott Williams, many, many times before. And I actually saw him in his first ever role back in 1994 in the Ian Softley film Backbeat. Now, I'd met Scott at the press evening for a theatre play that he'd written, directed and starred in called Hope, which was an amazing evening. You'll hear me talk a little bit about that in uh, the surviving 30 minutes. Now, the bits that you won't hear me talk about, I actually had to sit down and listen to the 30 minutes again today and make notes of all the things we did manage to talk about that were recorded and the topics that were not covered. Um, So once the 30 minutes is done, you will hear me kick back in and I will try and fill in the gaps. Now, I've recorded maybe 315 to 320 podcasts on only two occasions have I ever fully lost one? The first one was with uh, Death Enemy and Al and Tom Morrison. And the second one is half of this interview slash conversation with Mr. Scott Williams. But we still get 30 minutes of the guy. So it's pretty impressive stuff. And we, we pretty much chatted for, as I mentioned before, probably about 55 minutes. So you've got just under um, half of it missing. It kind of sucks. And unfortunately, because Skype wasn't working which is the usual way that I record the podcasts, and I, can, I am able to monitor when the software stops recording. Um, Scott had a little bit of issue with his Skype, so we decided to do it on telephone. Now, I have some software on my uh, Android phone that does record calls. Unfortunately, there's no way to monitor that because I'm on the phone, and it didn't flag up when it stopped recording anyway. It was only once the conversation had ended, it had come to its natural end with us both saying goodbye to each other, that I then discovered hang on a minute, why is this file shorter than normal? Um, And obviously I didn't want to phone Scott back and say, oh, by the way, can we now do the last half hour all over again? Because these podcasts are not scripted. They are just conversations that are recorded. So, you know, you can't go, right, let's go back to page 25 and we'll just start again and we'll knock this thing out because you lose the whole natural aspect of it. And, um, you know, I like to keep these things natural unscripted which kind of makes it really hard 
when your technology craps out and causes half the conversation to go. But do enjoy the half hour and I will uh, catch up with you once Scott has finished. Chat soon. Cue the music. This is Dominic Burns, the director of Allies. Hi, I'm Eric England, the director of Contracted. Hi, I'm J.K. Amalud, the writer-director of The Asian. Hi, this is David L.G. Hughes, writer-director of the film Hallboy Suites. This is Anthony Alex from the Angry Mailman podcast. Hello, Stuart. Just a quick hello from Sarah Douglas. Hi, everybody. This is Mo Ali, the director of Montana. Hey, guys, this is Ace Marrero from the movie Madison County. The From Page to Screen Moviecast. Greetings. Hello, how you doing, Scott? Technology, yeah? Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> oh, mate, you know, honestly, it's because my operating system is so old and um, every time I try and do something, it asks me to update. and So it's been so long since I've used Skype, you know, it just doesn't... I oh, tend to use the laptop. Um, I use the iPad mainly now, so I've just neglected the, um, <laughs> the laptop. Does it then tell you that no, I'm sorry, you you need to do this in order to do that, and you need to do? I did Well, I out. needed to I needed to download, I needed to upgrade my OS X system in order to use Skype, and that can take a couple of hours. And, yeah. You know, how uh, how long have I got you for? What's your ideal schedule? Well, you've got me for as long as you like. You might, you, my wife and kid might come in in the background. I've, I've chased them out for, for half an hour, <laughs> yeah. and then you might hear a screaming baby. I've had a crazy nightmare week because he's been really unwell. So, is he uh, any better now, yeah, or is it just one of those things? Yeah, where... but he's been we've been in and out of A and E and had like five or six sleepless nights. So, really, really challenging. Oh. Uh, we don't have um, we don't have family in London, so it's just the two of us, you know. Oh, because you've shifted from. I mean, I think when Hope was on, which is it's crazy. I think it's nearly three years since Hope. No, I know. Three years, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's like three March, years, isn't it? I think the press night yeah. when I saw it. Yeah, I know, I know. Working on it, stuff before that, so three years. Time for well, it kind of, it's kind of evolving. It's it's always been ongoing because um, I mean, it was written. Started writing it ten years before it went on. So yeah, and um, it's kind of my baby. That's it's always been with me, you know. Nice. It wasn't um, a... it's very it's a very personal story. It's very kind of autobiographical. So. And were you extremely happy with the reactions and stuff to it? I'm guessing you were. I would hope so. Yeah, critically, it was a great success. Commercially, it wasn't because, in retrospect, it was probably put on the wrong theatre, you know. Yeah. And I think that theatre is so used to kind of pantomime and comedy and it kind of got this cabaret layout, chicken in a basket kind of set up where the audience are allowed to consume booze and... And, and consequently become very raucous and then um, probably the wrong venue for a play that you needed to concentrate on. So it can make uh, all difference depending on the venue to stuff like that. Cause, I, mean, I've I literally, to... literally had, literally had drunk people heckling on, oh. you know, while we were on stage. Yeah. Get them off and stuff like that. And you think, I did, I, I remember that. I remember, I'm pretty sure that comment was directed at you, wasn't it? <laughs> well, <laughs> they, you see, they, um, that's what they're used to. They're used to that kind of, those kind of performances where they, 
the the actors respond to the audience and break the fourth wall and have fun with them, and that's great. But um, you would have thought when they come to see a, a psychological love story thriller, they might. Um, <laughs> Anyway, but critically, you know, that people liked it, and I was very pleased with it. So, uh, so I loved it. It was really good. Yeah. I mean, it was the hardest part for me was writing a, a sort of review without going into any of the. Yeah, no, you wrote a beautiful. There were left it. It was very, very difficult to market mm. because obviously it has a massive twist and a massive reveal. And I was thinking, you know, how how did Hitchcock market Psycho? And um, how did they market Six Sense? And you know, all of these things. Yeah. Like the new Star Wars, how do they market the, the new Star Wars without giving away any of the story? Yeah, have you watched the new the Star Wars st- yet? I have, yeah, I have. What do you I, think? I, I, went, I went to the cinema. I, you know, I really loved it, and I thought what really struck me the most was how J.J. Abrams um, really tapped into the psyche of what would now be the middle-aged person, yeah. like myself, and really... Um, with those emotions of, of recalling your youth, but also realizing that your youth is gone. And it sounds very deep, and, and uh, but it's a, it's a kind of subconscious thing. You're watching this film, you're seeing all these heroes of the past and these new heroes. And, um, I found myself getting very emotional and, and tearing up in, in a sci-fi film, and, and that's because he's just clever. And, um, you know, it wasn't just about lasers and... And my favorite it was um, yeah, it was very clever. It was very well done. But I watched it and twice thought, in two days. I went to see it on yeah. um, you know, sort of the Thursday, and then went. I watched it in three day. I really went. I really got engrossed. I went for the whole three day experience. <laughs> Did that make a difference to it? Do you think? I I, I would rather watch it in two D retrospectively. I think it was a bit kind of off putting, but um, kind of you you forget you forget after a few minutes. But the first few minutes were a bit. Strange. Until he settled. But um, I just thought it was incredible. I thought it was, you know, I mean, how do you talk about it now without spoiling spoiling it for those people who haven't seen it? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I got very sort of defensive of these dozy people that are running around nitpicking it and going, oh, it's kind of. Just well, I, I read one. I read one. What What really annoyed me is that every single industry magazine and publication and every single blogger and film fan, cineast, were just tweeting and Facebooking everything about the film. And I, I, I read at least three spoilers before I even got to wow. cinema. Um, you know, the big one yeah. that I won't mention. No. You know, I, I knew that before I went in. And, um, oh. and, you know, just people, even now, and, and, and it's kind of vulgar and crass, but everything you need is just about how much money it's made. It's a bit like it's a bit like football. Yeah. Yeah. If, you look at, if you look at football, if you watch Sky Sports, they talk more about the money branding around than they do about the product and um, it's just all about box office this breaking this record breaking that record and then you know yeah it's fine I mean those sort of figures they're for the people that have got a financial thing in the film so you know how much did yeah but it's just um, you know it's it's show business it's it's you know we're not all accountants are we no exactly I always think people going about film put, put, put it in the um, put, put it in the in, in accountant monthly don't put it in you know the Hollywood reporter exactly I'm not really just talk about whether the film's good or whether it's not but I recorded uh, two days after I watched Star Wars I recorded a podcast with somebody who they didn't like it I did 
and I recorded a podcast and I never released it because like what everybody else is doing Star Wars podcast I really don't want to be yet. Yeah, yeah. Never, I well, I I was kind of I I, I said to myself I'm not going to go because you know look I'm 43 now why am I watching a film like that I've never seen any of the Harry Potter I've never seen any of, I've never seen Doctor Who I've never I just you know I some things off of, off of kids yeah. but. Again, he got that connection. He hooked on to you know the members of the youth and, and everybody. I would assume everybody who saw the first trilogy went to see this film. Yeah, because um, you you just have to like um, an unwritten obligation that you have to. <laughs> do. And and he knew that, and that that's why it was always going to be such a success. But it was it was very good and very busy as well. You know, obviously it's made a lot of money and stuff. But it was nice to see. Like older people. Yeah, I found going myself to going to the cinema more more than I have done recently because um, you know, I had a baby about eighteen months ago, and that just stops you from going anywhere, <laughs> let alone the cinema. But um, recently, I was doing a film in the Midlands, and then you had a bit of spare time, so I went to see uh, you know I went to see a few films. I saw Bridge of Spies. I saw Spectre. I saw Star Wars. I saw Hateful Eight. What was you know, your so thoughts on the hate? I, I loved it. I thought it was fabulous. I got annoyed with uh, the overuse of the N-word. I'm like, seriously, just roll that back. Well, I mean, that's just... <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's just pain, isn't it? Yeah, but the film was beautiful. I mean, look, it, it had... It, it, it's not... You've got to go into it expecting what it was. You know, it, it was a very over-the-top cowboy picture with a, with a hint of politics. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I think I mentioned when I came out I mean it, it was three hours something long and if you'd have cut out all the posing and the gesturing by the actors it would have you know you could have cut out an hour <laughs> yes. but then but then it wouldn't be it wouldn't be what Michael it Madsen wouldn't be Michael Madsen unless he did those eyebrow things that it does <laughs> and it took him about was it 15 minutes to put that bandana on a cut that he had on his neck I'm like yeah exactly well, but you know I mean that's why that's why Tarantino cast him just that's what he wants but as, as storytelling, I just really enjoyed it. I thought it was, um, you know, the, the, the chapter, the flashback chapter was almost flawless, you know, yeah. when you saw Minnie's haberdashery being um, taken over. That was just fabulous. Talking about storytellers as well, David Hughes sends you all his love, and he oh, says, good, I yeah. can't wait to work, for him, work with him again. So, yeah, good. I spoke yeah. to him last week. He's, he's doing very well. He he's a lovely chap. He's, he's too nice for this business. <laughs> he is, and hopefully keeps that nicety, though. You know, hopefully... Well, it's very, very, away. it's very, very rare, you know. We'll see. Yeah, exactly. But I was uh, I was looking over your filmography, and, I mean, half of your DVDs I've got on my collection downstairs anyway. The um, You're a big Beatles fan. If somebody had never listened to the Beatles before, which album would you recommend? Is there a favourite one? Um... um Ooh, that's a really or good just question. To them all. <laughs> just work your way the thing them. about the beat, the thing about the Beatles is they're, they're flawless. Uh, they're just flawless. There's no better way of putting it. So even their like 90 second album fillers on their second album is as flawless as uh, you know uh, a, a, comp- a composition with 50 violins and uh, on on uh, on Abbey Road or something. Yeah. So I mean, my favorite album is probably Abbey Road or um, Revolver, maybe Rubber Soul. I, I like the latter era because um, 
I prefer the latter era. And were you like? But the thing that the thing about the Beatles when I did because my first film was Blackbeat, where I played Pete Best. So um, I was a fan before that, but when it, when playing that role as a nineteen twenty year old, you know, I had to do my research and and um, kind of lived. We were encouraged to live the life that they lived as teenagers. You know, we we had lots of rehearsals, we spent a lot of time together. They tried to make us feel like a band. They encouraged us to go out and drink and get drunk. And, um, you know, so it was the closest I've ever felt to being in a band. And you realised then that as 18, 19-year-olds gigging, um, that's where the expression eight days a week came from because, you know, they were so exhausted. They were gigging seven days a week, three, four times a day. And so by the time it came to them to be signed in 63, they'd had so much practice. They were so tight. Um, you know, it was the perfect apprenticeship. That's why they came on with such a bang. And, um, you know, they probably had a couple of hundred songs already pre-written. Um, so, you know, it was just perfection. It was just timing. And um, But one thing I realized, the one thing that I always fight and tell people when I'm trying to express just how good they were is their recording life was little over six years. Yeah. I mean, they started recording in 62 and they finished recording in 69. So it was seven years. And if you think they went from Love, Love Me Do to I Am The Walrus and, uh, you know, I mean, Oasis had seven years between albums. Yeah. I mean, so you sort of just, must be fewer to ask anybody who didn't really know about the Beatles. How many albums do you reckon they did? They probably, oh, 20, 30, 40, you know, a lot. They, they certainly wouldn't think that it was only seven years' worth of stuff. Okay. Well, exactly. It was quite phenomenal, really. Was it kind of scary, to, to, for, I mean, for that to be your first on-screen role? I mean, you'd done writing and stuff before that, and then theatre and stuff. But is it kind of... Yeah. Was it really freaky to go, right, you're going to be playing a Beatle? It was um, it was daunting because I was playing someone who existed, and um, if I remember rightly, I don't think I was allowed to meet him. I wanted to try and meet him, Pete Best, because obviously I felt um, an obligation and a, and a responsibility to him. And there was lots of kind of legal things they had to bypass in order to get the film on, and they just didn't want anyone throwing any spanners in the works. And, so I was encouraged not to meet him. I met him as soon as we wrapped. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's like I've done three or four jobs where I've played people who exist, you know, like when I did Hillsborough, for example. So there is an added pressure of playing a real person. Um, but I think the biggest challenge was just learning to play the drums because I, I, I've never hit a drum in my life. <laughs> and I told them that I was proficient. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> Like, I mean, I remember the... Yeah, of course I can. Exactly, right, yeah. Right horse. Yep. I remember the audition. I, I didn't even have a pair of drumsticks, so I dismantled two old wooden clothes hangers. And, you know, you have that wooden bar where you hang your trousers on. Yeah. And I just took two of them out and walked in with them in my back pocket. And, um, you know, so, I mean, look, the one thing you have at that age is just, a cre incredible amount of confidence. You know, someone said to me, never lose the confidence of youth. And, you know, that's a great note for any actor to keep. You make, you take risks. 
as a younger actor because you don't really you're kind of anti-authority, anti-status quo. Uh, you know, you you do what you want to do. You want to be, um, you know, you're an angry young man. You want to be Marlon Brando. Um, you don't really have that respect that you later come to have for directors and photographers, and you know. Um, so from that regard, it was, you know, I had lots of fun. Um, and Ian Toffley is an incredible director. It's the loudest. You have fun, so. I mean, I remember the first time I was aware of the name Scott Williams was Hardboiled Tweets, but the first yeah. time I'd seen you on screen was actually Backbeat because I was working in a video store back then. And it was really popular on VHS. And, yeah, that's the know. funny thing, you see, because, I mean, I I still get in taxis and people say, did you see that thing last night? I say, yeah, I was in it. <laughs> and they stop and they look. And I've, it's, always been, it's always been my goal... Um, to do, play as many roles as possible, you know, when I decided I wanted to be an actor, because I was a, a writer first, I was a playwright, I still am, but yeah. um, when I decided I was going to act, I thought, right, well, I'm just going to try and play as many parts as possible and as many different guys and be versatile as possible. And as a young actor, I thought to myself, if I ever get recognised, I'm not doing my job properly, because, you know, I'm not being a chameleon and it's kind of a childish thought, but no, you, you get no. what I'm coming from. I, I but I, do, you not, do you not feel that you've kind of, you've accomplished I've done that. that. I achieved yeah, that. I yeah. definitely achieved that, but I achieved that in, um, in, in an era where you could, you know, I mean, my heroes, the Ian Hart's of this world yeah. and, you know, the Lynn Redgraves of this world, you know, they've made a hundred pictures and they've probably banked you know, a couple of million quid and they can walk down the road and nobody knows who they are. Um, that's what I always, asp- I always aspired to because I, I just value privacy so much because when I was growing up, I had some really famous friends and I used to look at their lives. A couple of friends of mine were big names in soap operas and, um, you know, I'd go out with them and they literally couldn't breathe and I made a decision early on that that, kind of wasn't for me but that was in an era when when you could earn a living as what you would call a character actor you know a jobbing actor yeah you i mean i was having this discussion recently with and the sad thing of what's happening in independent film since since the financial crash since the 2008 everyone kind of took a step or two down on the food chain they went down a couple of rungs and you know, you had movie stars doing TV and you had TV stars doing theatre and you had and, and the people who were doing theatre were pushed down into you know theatre and education and, and, and it became harder to live in London and it became impossible to study and you saw, you know, more middle class people doing working class roles, et cetera, et cetera. It was just like a, a domino effect. But what happened was it kind of echoed what happened in the economy. There's kind of a, a um, an uh, inequality. You've got, you know, you've got $200 million pictures and you've got pictures being made on the back of an iPhone. Yeah. And and there's nothing in between anymore or very rarely, you know, there's very rare eight, nine, $10 million films anymore where you can at least earn a living. 
I mean, I've noticed so, that with a lot of the stuff I talk about. It's you've either got your Spectres, which are your two hundred million dollar things, or you've got your thirty, forty grand, or hundred grand movies. Which is really, which anything. is a real shame because, yeah. in my opinion, I mean, in my experience, the best scripts I read as an actor tend to be attached to the lowest budget productions. It's not always the case, but but when you get, you know, your low budget independent film. If it, if it hadn't had the financier or the investor having a say in the storytelling and the script, let's face it, what do they know? You know, um, you get your best scripts because they've not been, you know, influenced by financial decisions, you know, commercial decisions. We need an explosion. We need a, we need a go. We need, you know. Um, so the better the script, the lower the budget, and you can't earn a, you can't earn a living doing that. You know, I, I did a, a couple of films recently that I did purely because the scripts were so fabulous but there's no way I could survive on the salaries they offer you on these pictures and um, you know consequently lots of film actors moving into television and it's just and I I don't know whether it's ever going to change back again I I think some of the problem is the audience because generally sort of Joe Public will get all excited about the Batman films and the Fast and Furious films, which I watch both of them and I'll enjoy them as well, but the the big magazines and stuff are all the franchise movies, whereas yeah. there's, there's not many that focus on these smaller films to make people to go, you know, make people watch them to then make them bring in more money to get more films made and stuff. It just, mm. I think it's a lot of things. I think it's people who watch films. I think it's cinemas that show them. I went to see uh, Steve Jobs the week after it opened. And it wasn't mm. even on. And I said to the woman in the cinema, I'm like, why isn't it on? She's like, oh, I didn't do very well. Well, I mean, five yeah. days ago, six days ago since it opened, and they've already canned it and given them another screen to something else. It's also expensive. You know, I, 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 me and my wife went to see Star Wars, and it was £30 before we even bought a drink, you know, and that's, that's pricing people out, um, especially when everything's so accessible at the touch of a button now on, on TV. Um but you know, it's what can you say? It's not that they it's not that they don't make ten million dollar films anymore. They still make them you know, you've still got your Brooklyns and your ex Machinas and however it's pronounced. Yeah. Those kind of films that my friend Caroline produced and you know, but but now they're attracting big star names. Yeah, so you've got you've got Arnold Schwarzenegger doing a a, a, a one million dollar film. Yeah, and he because did that, he did that for free as well, didn't he? Yeah, because he, the he liked the script, and and so so you jobbing actor. I think what I think in a nutshell, what I'm trying to say is the the, the character actor is kind of gone, um, unless you're prepared to, unless you've got something else you can do to to finance your lifestyle and and, and pay the bills. Yeah. Um, you can't. I mean, the the salaries they're offering now. If you if you if you receive an equity minimum salary for a film. Which I think you probably need to make twenty, thirty films a year just yeah, to easily. just to have the living wage. I think the, so. like, the equity minimum or something is like one hundred and twenty quid a day or something like that. You yeah, know? Well, yeah that, there you go. That's all right for a day's work, but when that film is only oh, we only need you for two days or something, you can't. Well, the amount of films I've been offered um, for no money, or, or you know, and you read it and it's a wonderful script and it's a wonderful role, and they say there's no money, and you know, I'm I'm a big campaigner, I'm an activist on inequality and exploitation and nobody should work for free. No. 
and and too many people use the excuse of um, you know building up your CV. Do you want to work with this star? Do you want to? And it, and it's wrong because somebody's making money. Yeah, somebody is. Yeah. Um, you know, I got offered. A film, I won't say what it is, but I know that you've seen it because I've seen you tweet about it. Yep. I got offered a role in it. And, um, you know, the, the fee was less than you would earn in McDonald's. And I spoke to the producers and I was like, well, can you find any more money? Because this isn't even going to cover expenses. And they're like, no. Um, so you have to turn it down. And there's always going to be 10 people behind you who want the role. But which has it's a massive knock-on effect, doesn't it? So who knows what it's going to be like. Well, it's the same. It, what, what happens is you get people who accept the role who can afford to take the loss because they've got money or they're from money or they have um, support. And this is what I'm saying about, you know, the, the working class actor is being priced out because they can't... It's not just this business. It's every business. You know, if you're going to become a, a journalist, you, the odds are you'll have to do a six-month internship somewhere and work for free. Yeah. So you can only do that if you've got family support. So consequently, you're just getting middle-class kids becoming journalists and and, write, and representing the working class in the newspapers. And, and you know, I'm, that's a political argument, but it, it trans it transfers over to the show business, any business. I mean, your uh, Twitter feeds are made. I was looking at it earlier on, and it's a, it's a mixture. A lot of people's Twitter feeds tend to focus on one subject, like mine's usually like, watch this, watch that, and watch the other. Yeah. Um, yours is all over the place. You've got swap shop tweets and, and football oh, gosh, tweets. Yeah. Well, and it's it's micro-blogging, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, you know, I get... I don't know. I try and... I just think if you've got any kind of influence and, and you see any injustice and you don't use that influence to highlight that injustice, then I don't know how people do that. No. Uh, personally speaking, um, you don't want to ostracize yourself too much or, you know, lean too way one way or the other. But, you know, everything is political. Um, and especially when you have, you know, I started a family a couple of years ago and everything gets highlighted. And, yeah, does it, I suppose um, it puts a whole new perspective on it, doesn't it? You know, yeah, I mean, no I just wish, I wish, I wish more, I wish more actors were, were you know, you've got the, the obvious ones who have been very vocal, and um, you know, the Martin Freemans and and even Benedict Cumberbatch, um, my mate Dave Morrissey, the McGanns, Julie Walters, and they've all written and talked about the inequality in in the business, and um, Chris Eccleston. Um, I just wish more of them would, you know, instead of just being yes men, but. Each just, to their own, I do suppose. Do you think that's some of the people's reluctances because, oh, I don't want to upset somebody that might have a role for me or, you know, yeah. something along those lines, yeah. Possibly. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think, what did they, have you ever done podcasts before? Or I mean, you've obviously done a lot of press before. So things I've, done, I've done football podcasts. Um, I, I used to do a lot of football podcasts for the Anfield Rap in Liverpool, but... Um, no, I don't know. I might have done a couple. I think I did one um, when we were doing Hope yeah. um, over in America. That was... Um, no, this is the future. Podcasts are the future, aren't they? No, it isn't. Because it's just sort of uncensored. You know, nobody go, oh, you've got to cut that bit out, cut this bit out, and mm. do whatever you want it to mm. um, Exactly. But it's always... I always find the awkward bit is, what's the first question to ask? And usually... 
I, I mean, you sort of put a tweet out earlier on saying you were doing an interview, and it's like, oh, it's not an interview. Yeah. I like to just sort well, of... Well, no, it's not an interview, but, you know, it's nice It's good to answer questions. You can just chat and oh, stuff yeah. comes out, but um, no questions are... Yeah, I've done hundreds. The first British one I did when I started focusing on the British side of things was actually with uh, with David Hughes. So way back. When. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's uh, off busy doing this that and the other now. So I'm looking forward to twenty mm-hmm. dozen new films. Um, I think the most recent film of yours I watched was Redirected. Yeah. How exhausting was that? That was a very different film than I thought it was going to be. Because you look at the cover and you see like Vinnie Jones on there and you go, ah. Oh, well, that's they, they. We go right back to the what we've just been talking about because yeah. Redirected was my first real venture into comedy. I mean, it's a hilarious film. <laughs> and yet the people in this country decided to market it as a, as a gangster, British crime gangster film. Yes, it's got, them, it's got those characters in it, but it's, not, it's not, not the way to market that film. No. I mean, if anything, that was the British hangover. It was four guys yeah. out in Eastern Europe, completely out of their depth. They lose their money, they lose their clothes, they lose their marbles. It, it, it was it was a comedy. It was a, a, a kind of crazy, anarchic comedy. But because Vinny Jones was in it, they put him on the poster with a shotgun, and uh, you know, it reminded me of the Oliver Stone film U Turn with Sean Penn. If you've seen that one, yeah, I mean it's it's it is yeah. crazy, and it, it, it was certainly the most physical film I've ever done. I, I, I realised shooting that film, I just grew a massive respect for these action actors, you know, the, the Daniel Craigs, the, the Tom Cruises of this world, who, and just realized that they're machines, they're basically machines, because, yeah. you know, for example, the, the first scene I had to shoot was being chased by a car, a BMW, you know, and you turn up on set, and you, you, you're relatively fit, because you, you know, you just do your general twice a day, twice a week in the gym, and you eat well, and you turn up and they ask you to run 400 yards being chased by a BMW and you've got to do 20 takes and you're 40 years old <laughs> and at the end of the day you've pulled every single muscle from the waist down and you can't walk for another week and you realise that the scheduling has all been wrong and I should have been shot on the last day and um, you know it was a lot of that going on I had a lot of injuries I got knocked out unconscious taken to a neurological hospital. Um, I broke two fingers. I dislocated my thumb. I had bruises beside the plates, my feet. Oh, it was, it was so, so physical. And when you watch it on the screen, it looks relatively, you know, average when it, when it comes to action. And I was exhausted watching it. Cause, cause... Yeah, I mean, it was great for me. It was just great fun. I mean, it was just great fun. And, and you know, and welcome back. Yep, it's me. Scott has disappeared. Now, he wasn't being rude and didn't say goodbye. He did actually say goodbye, and we sort of parted and said, speak to you soon, and thanks for taking the time out. But uh, as you won't have heard, because of the technology crapping out, it's as if he just got up and left. But he didn't get up and left. We finished after a little brief chat about the film Redirected um, and the injuries he sustained and the fact that he's got so much respect for uh, you know people like Tom Cruise clinging to planes and stuff like that. i got so much respect for Scott Williams. Um, as I sort of mentioned, and you probably hear one of the last sentences of the podcast, was me actually saying I was actually tired watching the film. Now, 
I highly recommend that you watch Redirected. I watched it on DVD. It is actually on the UK Netflix. So just sort of do a search for it, Redirected, enjoy, and you know, let me know what you thought of the film at from page to screen, but also let Scott know what you thought of the film at Scott Williams at Scott with one T. Uh, or you can get in touch with him through his website, scottwilliams.co.uk. That was one of the topics that we covered as well. Now, there's probably only maybe maybe half a dozen topics that were actually in the last 20 minutes. We uh, we spent a little time chatting about Vinnie Jones. Uh, Scott found him to be one of the nicest guys around. He would you know buy people lunch. He would be about as professional as you could get. He would show up, bang, nail the take, done. Uh, nicest bloke ever. So, very, very cool. But do check out Redirected. I mean, if you like Vinnie Jones, it's cool. But Vinnie Jones isn't in it as much as the cover makes it look. To me, it's more of a Scott Williams and his friends movie. But uh, Vinnie Jones is still pretty awesome doing what he does in it. So do check out Redirected. We also chat a little bit about a film that I've also watched on DVD. I tend to watch most of my films on DVD because I like having the physical copy. And I also like all the special features, like DVD commentaries, etc., etc. We chatted a little bit about the film uh, The Crew, which is really good. Not the one based on a book by Dougie Brimson, because as far as I know, they haven't made one based on a book by Dougie Brimson. But this film is starring Stephen Graham, who's one of my favourite actors, Scott Williams, Philip Oliver, a whole bunch of people. And it used to be on Netflix, but for some reason Netflix... I've, uh, I've taken it off, but Netflix tend to do that. But it is available on DVD. You'll be able to pick it up on Amazon. It is a bonkers film, but it's really, really good. As Scott mentioned, I need to stop saying, as Scott mentioned, because you didn't hear him mention, because it's in the part of the podcast that doesn't exist anymore. Um, he said the film has developed somewhat of a cult following, and it has. Now, that is a cult following, not occult, as in witches and stuff. It has developed somewhat of a cult following um, and me being included I'd seen the sort of thumbnail and I'd seen the cover art the white cover with the, the flashy sort of orange writing on it and stuff and I'd just sort of passed it by and after I'd been to the press night of Hope I started to sort of mop up some of the films that Scott Williams had appeared in I'd never got around to watch and one of those was The Crew really really good film uh, not one you want to show your kiddies though don't let no kiddies watch it. But everybody's fantastic at it. And we got to chat in about a sequel. You know, is there any chance to be a sequel? And Scott, had, uh, he's, he said, you know, they'd love, he'd love to be one. They would love to be a sequel to the crew. It's all about the financing. And we started chatting about financing. My quick response was, let's just kickstart this, you know, project to get it up and running. Um, but if there are any people out there who are interested in investing in a movie... But more than that, investing in the crew too. Maybe that'll be the title. I have no, no idea. Maybe it's too fast, too crew, or too crew, too furious, or or crew two. You know that sounds feasible. Um, do get in touch with Scott Williams, or drop me a tweet, and I'll forward it on to Scott Williams. But definitely check out the crew. Unfortunately, you can't check it out on Netflix because it's gone. But you know what? Support indie films. Just buy the DVD. It's not going to be super expensive now because it's a few years old, but you can grab it, so go get it. Um, we then got chatting again about stage play Hope. Now, when I saw Hope, 
I wrote a review for it. And it's really hard writing a review where you don't give away plot lines. But, but I think I managed it. And Scott informed me that he has completed an adaptation um, for Hope the Movie. So we sort of chatted a little bit about how awkward it was to transplant a theatrical production into a cinematic production. And he talked a little bit about how when he was writing Hope, he was kind of writing it as a cinematic thing anyway. So hopefully that made his, his work a little bit easier. Um, it's been relocated to the US rather than the sort of unnamed uh, stage where I saw Am. And it's just, you know, fingers crossed and all hope it will actually uh, come out. We then shifted to talk about three films that uh, Scott has got coming out, not just this year, but within uh, the next few weeks. First one of which, um, I think this is actually the only one that seems to have a release date, I think. It's coming out on the 5th of February 2016, and it's called Taking Stock. It's written and directed by Maeve Murphy, and it stars Kelly Brook, Georgia Groom, Jay Browd, and Scott Williams. Kind of like a Bonnie and Clyde contemporary drama, and I'd love to be able to sum this film up for you, but let's just play the trailer. Christina opens the shop. She always leaves the keys on a hook behind the desk. At one o'clock, she goes to Angela's to get a sandwich. It takes her approximately 11 minutes to go get a sandwich and then come back. So one three, I'm going to go to her office. I'm going to grab the keys. I'm going to give them to you, Sponge. Get the keys to you. And you can cycle to the top of Merchant Street. And Nick, you can be waiting at the key cutting place at the front of the queue. Ladies, we're going to do this in style. Yes. There was no point having the key to the shop if I couldn't open the safe. So it was back to being Bonnie. Where was my Clyde? There you go. What do you think about that one? I mean, the cast list has me pretty convinced. Georgia Groom from London to Brighton. Scott Williams. There you go. So Taking Stock um, is coming out on the 5th of February 2016. The other film which is coming out is... This is the weirdest premise ever. Now, I could only find a teaser trailer for this. And the teaser trailer, unfortunately, just contains sort of 90% music. So, to play that for you, really wouldn't give much of the game away. It's called K-Shop. And um, it is written and directed by Dan Pringle. And cast list in this one, Ewan McIntosh, Lucinda Rhodes, who I watched the other day in Serial Caller, and Scott Williams... Now, this is the weird premise. A kebab shop owner's son, Salah, turns vigilante after his father's death in an effort to clean up the relentless onslaught of boozed-up thrill-seekers waging war on his doorstep. Now, the disturbing thing of this is, basically, the kebab shop owner, um, the son, starts putting people in kebabs. And not two hours ago, for my tea... Yep, you can guess what I had. It was uh, a kebab. So I'm not quite sure what I think about K-Shop. Um, it was used, Scott started talking about how a lot of it was done sort of guerrilla filmmaking style. So in order to get the footage of all these boozed up thrill seekers, they took to the town um, where it was filmed in and secretly filmed boozed up thrill seekers. So, you know, if you go and watch this film... You may actually see yourself if you're unfortunate enough to have been a boozed up thrill seeker 
around the time they were filling K-Shop in uh, whatever town it was. Yeah, scary. I hope that kebab's okay. And the third film that we talked about is Just Charlie. Um, written by Peter Macken and directed by Rebecca Fortune. Now, if you look at IMDb, the only credited cast actually on here is Scott Williams. Now, the premise of this, an interesting one. I mean, Scott's playing Paul Lindsay, so, but it doesn't mention Paul. Oh, yeah, it does mention Paul. See, this is the problem I've got with this podcast. It's because I don't make notes on them. Um, because why would you during a conversation? If you have to then go over the information you've heard only a matter of hours earlier, some of it you forget, and then you go, oh, yeah, I remember that part. And then it makes you sound like a bit of a tit when you're uh, recording patch-up bits on a podcast episode. But uh, Scott Williams plays Charlie's dad. And Charlie is actually a girl trapped in the body of a boy. And uh, Scott's character didn't quite hit his career. So obviously he sees his son living um, the life that he wants to live until he finds out that Charlie is a girl trapped in the body of a boy. So very, very drama-driven. Um, it's a subject that's pretty topical across the news and stuff at the minute. So it's, I mean, you look at those three films, you've got a Bonnie and Clyde style film, you've got a crazy horror film, and then you've got pure drama. So all these films that Scott's appearing in, is uh, they are coming out. Scott sort of seems to think they'll all be out before the summer. So it's kind of like the season of Scott Williams, which is a pretty good season to have, isn't it? Because if you're not familiar with the name, just jump onto his IMDb, check out some of the films he's been in. He's been in loads. Uh, 39 credits to his name. He's been in things like Backbeat, Hillsborough, uh, Liverpool One. If that's a TV show you've never seen, I would say go out and buy the DVD. But the damn thing's not even out on DVD. I really want to watch that show again because I've seen it before and I loved it. Um, he's been in things like Nice Guy Eddie, Mersey Beat, Lilies, The Crew, which I've mentioned, Clubbed, which is good, Dead Man Running, alongside Danny Dyer and Tamar Hassan, Hard Boiled Sweets, a massive fan of that one, and Redirected. That's just to name a few of the stuff. He has written theatre plays, he's working on a novel, he's working on Hope, the novel, to go alongside the movie, to go alongside the, sh the stage show. Um, he is such a busy guy and he's a family man as well I don't know how he sleeps he probably doesn't um, so he should play like the next Jack Bauer but then he get typecast so that's not good he's easily one of the best character actors around such a nice guy as well um, we were supposed to have a conversation on Monday but he was very busy but he took the time out to have a chat on Wednesday we spoke for probably about an hour it recorded half an hour thank you very much recording software not but at least it recorded half an hour so you can get an idea of how awesome scott williams is and do give him a follow on twitter at scott williams so that's s-c-o-t williams um say hi to him yeah, i'm sure he'll reply back and do check out some of his films definitely check out redirected because it's freaking awesome and mental uh, at the same time and check out the crew and check out hardball sweets and many many thanks to scott williams for taking the time out to record. Many, many non-thanks to the recording software for not recording the entire conversation. 
Um, and hopefully Scott's not too annoyed by that. I was very annoyed by it. I didn't find out till afterwards, so that kind of sucks. But um, hopefully I've done an okay job patching it. I mean, I suppose the other option is to say, sorry, conversation didn't work. We need to do the whole thing again. But that's unfair to Scott. Uh, it's unfair to me, although I'd happily sit down with the dude and um, chat to him. So maybe at some point we'll do a full video interview. I'll take a trip down to where he lives and I'll sit and buy him cappuccinos or whatever um, but many many thanks to Scott many many thanks to everybody for listening to this podcast episode so take care and I promise the next one will work if and I mean if this goes according to plan he's got a ring you take it but don't rough him up too much his name's John They'll be flying to Malaysia. That's all I know. That's fucking him. We've just been fucked by the honorary guard of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth the fucking second. <laughs> it's only one extra night. Tomorrow we'll be in paradise. How? How? How did I get here? They didn't get as far as Malaysia. The flight redirected to Lithuania. Litha fucking what? Good night, my friend. What the fuck is going on here? We're at the uh, Lithuanian wedding. Na 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 na. You ever thought of doing anything different? You know, if we didn't do what we do. There has to be something different. You think about it. Close your fucking eyes! Now go and knock his fucking head off. The Brennans in this city is well respected. I've heard there's three shipments and they've got like 30,000 on each. The Serbs are gonna be involved. Fucking bloodbath. What's the worst gonna happen? We have an interesting situation developing here, ladies and gentlemen. You get something I know you really fucking want. Jed Brennan and his whole fucking crew. Don't be cheeky, dickhead. Dear heart. See, the problem is, these young crews today got no respect they think the flash cars and the fancy clothes make them real men then we'll see who the real men are